So good to see you. A very special welcome on this holiday week to friends, visitors, guests, family. We're so overjoyed to have you today. We're in a study in the Gospel of Luke. We're making our way through Luke's Gospel. So if you have a Bible, will you please pull that out now? Open to Luke 12. If you do not have a Bible or you forgot a Bible, ushers are coming down the aisle now. We'd love for you to have a Bible in your hands. My name is Pastor Adam, and I am so glad to be with you today. And I am particularly excited this morning because in our study in Luke today, we get to talk about money. Are you excited about that? Yes, we're going to talk about money today. You know why we're going to talk about money? Because Jesus talked about money a lot, actually. Did you know this? Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about faith or prayer combined. Isn't that interesting? Jesus spoke about money more than he spoke about heaven, hell, sex. Jesus spoke a lot about money. Now, some of you are like, I wish we were having the sex talk today. I'd rather have that than the money talk. But listen, Jesus talked about money all the time. And not only did he talk about money all the time, some of the most profound and audacious statements that Jesus made were about money. So Jesus would say things like, you cannot serve two masters. It's one or the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or Jesus would say things like, it would be easier for me to take a camel and squeeze it through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa! And we hear that and we go, that's a crazy statement. That's a big statement. Jesus said things like, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens. Anybody want to take a guess where Jesus said that? Luke 12. Yes, Luke 12. That's where we're going. Provide yourselves with money bags. Imagine a money bag. And Jesus says, I want you to provide yourself with that, but I want you to provide yourself with a money bag that never grows old, never rots, never decays. In fact, it's a money bag, a treasure that's laid up for you in another realm in heaven. What does that mean? Hmm. We're going to talk about that today. Jesus talked a lot about money, and that tells me he must have really cared about money. <laughs> it was a big deal to him. Why? Why did he talk so much about it? Some people have suggested it's because money is really dangerous. It's dangerous for the Christian, but I don't think so. You've got that, you got that $100 bill. Think about it. That, that, piece, that bill, it's just a piece of paper. It's totally neutral. It's actually worthless unless the government tells us it's worth something. <laughs> When I was in Egypt, this pastor at the end of the trip, he came up and he wanted, to, he wanted me to have his phone number so that we could connect. And so he was looking for a piece of paper and he pulled out a 20, an, an Egyptian 20. And he, and he was like, whatever. It's where, and he wrote Pastor Sammy on there. And in Egypt, the 20 is actually kind of worthless. But the reality is bills are worthless. They're totally morally neutral. Some people have said, maybe, maybe the reason Jesus cared so much about money is because money is like another God. But the more I've thought about that, I think the, the God is hiding somewhere inside of my heart and in your heart. I think that's why Jesus talked so much about money. 
I think Jesus knew money, the topic of money and how we use money and what we do with money and what we feel about money. I think Jesus knew that's like this big, wide open window that allows us to take a look into our own hearts, our own hearts. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Are you still excited to be here? I'm so excited to be with you today. Here's the question I'm asking. What does it mean to lay up a treasure in heaven? What does that mean? That's what Jesus is going to teach us about this morning, Luke 12, verse 13. And actually, the whole thing gets set up by an interruption, a question that someone rudely asks right in the middle of Jesus' teaching. We look at it with me, Luke 12, verse 13. Here's what happened. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator? Over you. And if that sounds to you like Jesus is annoyed, that's because I think he is a little. <laughs> He's a little annoyed, okay? He's like, man, I think Jesus is annoyed, not because of the question. It's, it is an interruption, okay? I think the reason Jesus is annoyed is because the heart behind the question. It was actually very common in Jesus' day for people to have inheritance squabbles. And it was very common to come to a rabbi or a teacher and say, will you help us? kind of mediate with this, but here's what's happening in this situation. When this guy shows up, he's already decided what he wants Jesus to do, and he's telling Jesus what to do. Imagine if he had come and he had said, hey, Jesus, like, I'm really open to whatever you decide here. Judge this based on the merits of the case, right? But that's not what he said. He wanted Jesus to spank his brother for him. <laughs> he's like, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And that heart, that sort of that heart in the process, Jesus was like, we are, we've got a problem here. Think about it. You got a guy, he's been there. He's listened to Jesus teach. If you go back last week and listen to the message, you'll hear all of this teaching that Jesus has offered about eternal truths, huge ideas. Here's a guy in the crowd. He's listening to Jesus speak about profound things, but his heart is so consumed with something that all of these massive gospel ideas are just going in one ear and out the other. And all he can think about is his inheritance. Amazing. And so Jesus says, man. <laughs> and here's what he says next. We look at it with me. It becomes, the interruption becomes an opportunity for Jesus to say some of the most profound things about stuff, about money that you'll ever read in the Bible. There's a setup. Verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That could also be the word greed. Be on your guard against greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, 
you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Just put your finger there. We'll come back in just a minute. We'll keep reading. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit to you, when you read that parable and you get to that point where God calls this man a fool, it's kind of intense. I read it this week and I thought, wow, that seems really harsh. Because as I'm reading the parable, there's a part of me that sort of sympathizes with this brother. There he is. He's a farmer. And he can't control what his crops do. He for some reason, on this one particular year, he is, his crop is just surprisingly bountiful. It's what farmers call a bumper crop. It's a crop that's unexpectedly plentiful. And here's this farmer. He's already got a lot because the, the parable says he's wealthy. And now he has even more, a bumper crop, and he's faced with a dilemma. He does not have enough space to store all of the grain from this massively bountiful crop. So what does he do? He he thinks about it. He doesn't want to waste the crop, which seems wise, right? So he says, I'll build bigger barns. And you're reading it, and the reader's thinking, this is kind of a smart guy. Like, he doesn't want to be wasteful. But God comes and says, you're a fool. And the reader's thinking, wow. That's harsh, but God is God. He's all wise. He's all knowing. There must have been something foolish going on here. My question to you is, what was foolish? What did this man do that was foolish? I want to suggest three things. These are not my three points of the sermon, all right? This is just a warm-up, okay? This is a (laughs) warm-up. We got a lot to do. But uh, three things that were foolish, okay? Think about these with me just for a minute. I'm going to put them on the screen so you can see it and wrestle with it. Number one, it was foolish for this man to presume that he had a long time here. Okay, it was foolish for him to assume, I know how long I'll be here on this earth. I think God would say, that's foolish. Right? God says, this very night, your life is required of you. On the, on the very night that you've spent the whole day assuming you've got a long time here, many years, and you're planning for your retirement, on that very night, God shows up and says, that was foolish, because you never know. You never know. There he is. The irony is so thick. It's his last day on earth, and how does he spend it? He spends it planning for an amazing, long, bountiful retirement, right? Rich foods, wines, He probably bought a spa membership, you know, season tickets to the Galilean gladiators. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. But the point is, there he is, and he's thinking, I'm going to be here a long time. And God says, actually, tonight, this is the night when your soul is required of you. Did you see that in verse 20? Will you look at your own Bible? Words in the Gospel of Luke, every single one of them is chosen. Did you notice the word required? What a word. That word, actually, in the Greek, it means to ask for something back. It's a, it comes from the world of economics or the world of loans, commercial loans. It was this idea of, like, asking 
back or calling back something that belongs to you. So you'd call back alone. And God says, don't you realize your soul, your life, your time on this earth is alone that God's given to you. And there will come a day where God will call back that loan. Call back that loan. And so the foolishness is to think, I know how long, I'm going to be here so long. And God, you have no idea. Your life is a precious gift, a precious loan from me. And there's going to come a day where we'll be called back. Our, our lives will be required of us. Amazing. So that was foolish. Foolish, here's the second kind of foolish thing. It was foolish for this man to see his wealth as a result of his own doing. Really interesting, isn't that? Did you notice how self-referential he was? He's talking about himself constantly. In fact, if you were to go back later, you'd, if you counted, and scholars have counted, there are what scholars call the six eyes and the five mys. In this parable, he, he's constantly referring to himself. He says, what shall I do? What, shall, what do I have? I will do this. I will do that. I will, I will, I will. It's just, it's just you're being bombarded with his self-centeredness. And all of the mys, he talks about my crops, verses 17, 18, 19. My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. Very interesting. Made me think of a story that I heard once about a really wealthy young investment banker who was driving his brand new BMW. He'd spent a bunch of money on a brand new BMW. He loved this car. There he is. He's out on these windy mountain roads and he's going too fast and he hits a patch of ice and the car goes into a dead spin and it's careening towards a massive cliff. It's going to fly at the end of a cliff. And in a moment of brilliance, this young man unbuckles his seatbelt, opens the door, and he jumps out of this BMW as it careens over a cliff, tumbles down, and blows up into a massive ball of fire. He escapes with his life, but what he does not realize, tragically, is that in the process of jumping out of the car, his arm gets snagged on a part of the door, and it tears off his arm at the shoulder, all right? Okay, I don't actually know if this is a true story. I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. Okay, but it's it's a story. Okay, you guys are like yeah! okay. So there he is. He's standing, looking down into this careening valley. And, and right as this happens, a trucker who sees the whole accident, he pulls up and as he jumps out of the truck, there's the investment banker going, "My BMW, my BMW." not even aware that he's missing an arm. And the trucker goes, um, brother, you got a bigger problem here. And as the man looks down where his arm used to be, he cries out in despair, my Rolex, my Rolex. <laughs> right? My crops, my barns, my soul. But wait a minute, I talk like that. My car, my house, my business. Maybe it's just accidental that we talk like that. Or, wait a minute, 
Maybe it's revealing something a little deeper. How did I come across anything in my life? Was it totally my doing? You know, there's this powerful place in Deuteronomy. I don't want you to turn there, but I want you to read it later, Deuteronomy 8, where God warns the people of Israel. They're about to go into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, and God knows they are going to experience unbelievable affluence in the promised land. And God actually says to Moses, before they even enter the promised land, God says, you need to warn them because they're going to be super tempted to forget who it is who's behind all of this bounty. I'll just read a couple verses. I'll put them on the screen. Deuteronomy 8. Go back and read this later. It's an amazing story. But here's verse 12. Um, When you've eaten and you're full, God says, and you've built good... You built good houses and you've lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. He's just rehearsing the exodus who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. I titled my sermon, The Peril of Plenty. If you want to ever take notes, by the way, that's what this is for. The peril of plenty. Now, why did I call the sermon that? The peril of plenty. So here's what I think is happening in this parable. This bumper crop is plenty. And what's happening with this bumper crop, this unexpected bounty, is that God is actually using it to raise the temperature in this guy's life to expose something that's a little bit hidden. There's a, there can be a peril involved with having so much. And sometimes even when you get blessed with something amazing, an unexpected bounty, it's, think about this, and I know you've already thought about this, that, that's not always a blessing for people. Have you ever thought about that? Isn't that true? You win the lottery, boom, bumper crop. Does that work out very well for people, most people? No. But not only that, you, you get a massive raise. You get a massive uh, uh, promotion. You, you get a massive inheritance. Suddenly, something big and massive and bountiful comes into your life. That is not always good for your soul. Not because there's anything wrong with a blessing, but because it actually can, it can it's like a window. It, it, it uncovers a deeper thing that might be going on in my heart, in my life. I'm having a great year. I'm having a really great year. And, and I'm having a great year because I'm having a great year. Look what I've done to have a great 
here, this, this brother, his problem was that in that moment, God is nowhere in the picture. He's like, this is 100% about me. And God says, boy, oh boy, be careful. That's really foolish way to think about your life. Okay, here's a third little thing. Write this down. It was foolish for this man to confuse material abundance with spiritual security. Think about that for just a minute. When he started talking to himself, bounty crop, what should I do? He comes up with a strategy and then he talks to himself. And what's the word that he uses to describe himself? Remember it? Was the word? Soul. He says, soul. That word is a description of your true spiritual self. This guy, he knew, even though he was consumed with materialism, he could not help but betray what he really knew about life, which is that life is actually about being a spiritual soul. There's a spiritual creature underneath all this material. And so when God comes to require back his life, God speaks to what? Verse 20, his soul. He says, today, your soul is required of you. And so the, I think what's happening here is he's confusing things because he, at, at one level, he knows I'm a soul, but at another level, he decides I'm going to pad myself. I'm going to insulate myself from that reality by storing up and getting super, even though I have plenty already, I'm going to, I'm going to accumulate more and I'm going to ensure this sense of security. And God says, well, that's, that doesn't make any sense. When God, when God uses the word foolish, he's not being mean-spirited. That word is often used as a warning. It's like, wait a minute, don't you realize what you're doing? Wait, just stop and think about this for a minute. What am I? I'm a soul. I'm a soul. Okay, so this week, this week um, I was reading an article about the massive increase of Americans setting up what are called, I want to make sure I get this right, setting up what are called personal revival trusts. Have you ever heard of this? A personal revival trust. Some of you financial wizards, you'll know what this is. Okay, a personal revival trust is a fund that you set up when you're about to put your body in cryo-freeze. And I'm not kidding. This is happening. Okay, <laughs> because there are, there are more and more wealthy, and I, if you have set one of these up, I am not gonna make fun of you right now, only just a little bit. Okay, um, there are multimillionaires have a plan. They're gonna put themselves in cryo-freeze on the rare chance that somewhere down the road we'll have the scientific knowledge to revive someone from cryo-freeze. And so these people set up personal revival funds. This is not a spiritual revival. Okay, this is like a physical revival. The idea being when you come out of cryo-freeze 300 years from now, your biggest problem is that you would not have any money to live on, right? <laughs> I can think of a few other things that you might have to deal with there, but this is happening. Can you believe that? This is happening in our world. 
And Jesus says, wait a minute. This is not all there is. Let's stop and think about this for a minute. Can you look at verse 21? This is how the, this is how the parable ends. So now we get the grand conclusion to it all. Luke 12, verse 21. Jesus says, he's told the whole parable. And he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There it is. The point of the parable, Jesus is saying, there's, there's, there's really only two ways to do this. You either lay up treasure for yourself or in your life you're rich towards God. And the reader is probably thinking, well, I want to be the latter. I mean, I, I want to be a person who's rich towards God. I know I do. Well, what does that mean? How do I be rich towards God? How do I enrich God? Does God need, does God need cash? Is he cash poor? <laughs> like, what does this mean? And so we have to figure this out, right? And so this is what Jesus is going to talk about next. Will you look at it with me? How do you be rich? It's the same thing as laying up treasures in heaven. We want to be rich towards God. We want to lay up treasures in heaven. The reader is thinking, I really want this in my life. I'm sure you do. How do we do this? Let's read on. Verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And interesting that he starts with anxiety, worrying about stuff. He's like, the, very, the biggest threat to being rich towards God is worrying about stuff. If, if, that's, if you're consumed with worry about stuff, it's going to be really hard to be rich towards God. So don't be anxious what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father, your Father, he knows that you need them. God knows. It's amazing. This passage is actually a logic passage. See, we, we'd have missed this because we're getting stuff about ravens and lilies and, and we're thinking this is sort of an interesting conglomeration of ideas. But what's happening in this passage, if you were to go back and read it again slowly, Jesus is just layering logical idea, logic upon logic upon logic. Why? Because he wants you to realize that being rich towards God is the only logical way to live in this world. It's the only way that makes sense. He says, consider the ravens, consider the lilies. That word consider, it's a, it's a mental word. It's a logic word. The idea is, wait a minute, 
slow down, hit the pause button, stop tearing around with my head cut off in this world, and think about this for a second and pay attention to my world. What's really going on in this world? He says, consider nature. Watch, stand in, your be- stand in your living room window and look out your window and watch birds. They don't toil. They don't, they don't turn up the soil. They have no storage barns. They, they do nothing that we would typically think you'd need to do to make sure you have enough food. And yet God provides for them. He says, look at that flower. It's so beautiful. Think about how beautifully God has clothed that flower that will literally be dead in months. My favorite flower, okay, is a mollusk azalea. Gardeners, you out there? You got me? Mollusk azaleas, exotic azaleas. It's, this, it's called flame red. I have one. It's this bright orange, red, yellow azalea. It blooms in February, maybe early March, right outside my living room window. That flower is so beautiful. But here's what I've noticed about that flower. It literally begins to wilt before it's fully bloomed. It's just like, boom, the most resplendent, beautiful, just bright flower. And it's, it's almost like God showed off with all of his majestic creative ability on a flower that literally the petals will be gone in two weeks. Amazing. And God says, how much more valuable are you than that mollusk azalea? If you hear one thing today, it's I'm more important than a mollusk azalea. Okay. Write that on a t-shirt. And God says, wait a minute. Why are you worrying about clothing? Look at the way God clothes this worthless flower. God says, God says, Jesus says, think about how worthless it is to worry. See that in verse 17? He's like, how much time do you add to your life by worrying about stuff? It's amazing. I, can, I was a really high-strung kid when I was growing up. I would worry about school. I would worry about tests. I mean, I was, I was worrying, worrying, worrying. And what, you know what's amazing? Now, I look back on my life, I cannot remember any of the actual moments that I worried about. Have you ever thought about that? I would worry, 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 and then I would get through something, and I would blow right past it. It would not be a big deal, and I wouldn't learn a lesson. I would just turn right around and worry about the next thing. And now I look back on my life, and the only thing I remember is how much I worried. I don't remember any of the things I actually worried about. I think I'd be discouraged if God showed me the number of hours that I spent worrying in my life because I'd look at it and go, what did that contribute to my life? Did I add a single shred of value or time or, or impact because I worried about stuff? Jesus says, no. So why worry? But then finally, he says right there near the end, uh, verse 30, Jesus says, consider ultimate reality. He goes, think, remember, you have a father in heaven. It's interesting. Jesus says, the nations of the world, yeah, they go after all this stuff. It's normal in a world where people don't understand ultimate reality that we have a heavenly father who's gracious and generous. We just sang a song, generous giver. So wait a minute. 
when the Christian knows that, the Christian's walking around in this world going, I have a heavenly father who loves me and he's generous and he's good and he longs to meet my needs. It makes sense that the world would, would just go after stuff, but it doesn't make sense for the Christian to live like that. He's not saying it's wrong to have wealth. Many people have abundant wealth. I do. I do. God, Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be wealthy. He's not saying it's wrong to be savvy and wise with what God has given you. What he's saying is it's foolish and it's wrong to be so consumed with that that I take my eyes off of what's ultimately happening in my world, which is I have a heavenly father and his kingdom is coming and he longs to work in and through my life, including what he's blessed me with for his purposes. And so Jesus says, use some logic. But then he makes a, a really powerful turn, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this sermon here. At verse 31, Jesus makes a turn, and he says, but wait a minute, I have to actually tell you some stuff to do. Logic alone is not going to get you out of a rut of worry or being, or being a miser or, or being greedy. You can't think your way out of this. You actually have to do some things. And Jesus says, here's two specific things I want you to do. I'm going to tell them to you, and then I'm going to read it to you. First, seek the kingdom. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek it. That's not just a head thing. That's a heart thing. Oh, God, my number one priority. We prayed about this. My number one priority is that your kingdom would come in my world. And then the second thing Jesus says is give to the needy. Seek the kingdom Give to the needy. I'll start in verse 29. Jesus says, Do not seek after what you're to eat or what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. He says, Go after God's kingdom. Pour your heart into God's kingdom. Make God's kingdom the, the, the object of your greatest affections, your greatest energy, what you pray the most about, what you think the most about, what gets all of your energy. And if you do that, everything else will just take care of itself. Seek the kingdom. And then he says, verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Isn't that profound? Oh my gosh, it's so profound. And the imagery is vivid, these eternal money bags, treasure in heaven. Okay, now we're actually ready to answer the question, wait a minute, what does it mean to be rich towards God? What does it mean to store up treasure in heaven? Brothers and sisters, will you write this down, please? Take this with you. The way you store up wealth in heaven is by giving it away on earth. That's how you store up wealth in heaven, is you give it away 
to people in need. The way you, the way you have riches in heaven is by giving your riches away on earth. Deeds of loving kindness to people with real need. Those become deposits into some kind of an eternal money bag. Now, I'm going to admit, I don't, I don't know exactly how this works. But my guess is that it has, it has to do with God's accounting system. Okay, so in our accounting system, we think if I give stuff away, I end up with less. That's how our world, our, the economy of our world has pounded us to think when I'm generous towards God and towards his kingdom and towards people in need, I, I end up with less. It's like a zero-sum game. Many of you know about that, the zero-sum game. It's like it's one or the other. Either, either I have a lot and God has little, or I have little and God has a lot. But wait a minute. God, Jesus has just described God as this generous father who keeps pouring generosity into your life. And the idea is, as I give out of God's generosity to me, I gain more and more and more and more. Unbelievable. Powerful. Is the lesson to be careless and throw all your money away? Go outside today and build a big cash bonfire in your backyard? No, of course not. You know this. The lesson is, wait a minute. Why has God been so good to me? Why do I have so much? God, what do you want me to do for your kingdom? And God will show you. I want you to give to people who have needs. I want you to be generous. As you do, you will experience more and more of my blessing, a treasure in heaven. Oh my gosh, so powerful. Can I make an observation? Please listen to what I'm about to say. At no point in this sermon did I ask you to give to our church, okay? But I actually do want you to give to our church. I want you to give generously. Wait a minute, not because you feel compelled or guilted, but because you believe, wait a minute, our church is a part of the spread of God's kingdom. We're doing things in Egypt. We're doing things in Myanmar. We're sending medical teams across the globe to minister to people. Our church is a part of providing for the needs of people who have genuine need. I want to be a part of that. And can I tell you something? You are the most generous congregation. It blows me away. And I'm simply asking Let's do more for God's kingdom. On Friday, Guy and I sat with Camille in my office, Camille Kalata, our brother and friend from Egypt. And we sat with him after our trip to Egypt. If you weren't here last Sunday, I told stories from Egypt. Go back and listen. But we, went, we met with Camille because Guy and I knew we got to get with this brother and we have to figure out what is his vision. Because we're trying to discern as a church, where, what are, how are we supposed to be involved in this. We're praying, God, show us who has a need right now in the world. We want to be used as a church to meet that need. And I'm just simply standing before you as your pastor saying, will you continue to be generous? Will you continue to store up treasure in heaven? God will bless you. I promise. Amen. Are we still friends? Do you still love me? Okay, good. Oh man, I was worried. Let's pray. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I have a lot of friends. Okay, anyway, let's pray. Lord, as the worship team comes, 
we just want to say thank you because there's absolutely no way that a human being could come up with what we just read. This is not the result of human ingenuity, human wisdom, human intelligence. What we just read comes from the spirit of the living God. The mind of Christ and the pen of Luke as he was carried along by your spirit to record it. And we need every word of it. All the wisdom, all the truth. Transform us. May we become people who see life from an eternal perspective, including, including our stuff, the blessings you've given us, Lord. May we be generous. I pray, God, for generosity to erupt in our church so that we can do more to meet the needs of people in our world. Real needs, God. That's what we want, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. We pray together in your name. Amen.